Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. The happiest careers are the ones that use those natural talents that come easily to you. Change who you are now so that you can be an energetic match to the better thing. I'm not saying don't be loyal. I'm saying put yourself first. It's your life. What could be more important than your life? Always interview. And no matter what job you're in right now, no matter how happy, unhappy you should be interviewing. I mean to understand your worth and your value in the workplace and what's available. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 34 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Kathy Caprino. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Harsha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Before we begin, I just wanted to thank all the supporters of the podcast and the YouTube channel. Your support has helped the podcast be included in Max List Top Career Podcasts of 2022, along with some other amazing podcasts like Kathy's Finding Brave Podcast. Please like, comment, or share if you enjoy the content. Now back to the show. Kathy is a career and leadership coach, a Forbes senior contributor. TEDx speaker, LinkedIn influencer, and host of the Finding Brave podcast. Her mission is to support the advancement of women in business around the globe. Kathy is a speaker on topics spanning women's empowerment, overcoming workplace adversity, effective communication, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and navigating change. Before founding her executive coaching and consulting firm, she had an 18-year corporate career in publishing, direct marketing, and membership services. Kathy earned an MA in marriage and family therapy from Fairfield University, a BA in English literature from Boston University, and educational certifications and other training from New York University, the University of London, and the Institute for Life Coaching Training. Based in Stamford, Connecticut, Kathy has been featured by a number of top national publications and national television and radio outlets. Kathy is the author of The Most Powerful You, Seven Brave Paths to Building the Career of Your Dreams, and Breakdown Breakthrough, The Professional Women's Guide to Claiming a Life of Passion, Power, and Purpose. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much again. That was a long bio. I appreciate you reading that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's all Those true. Forever. It's all true. <laughs> That's the truth. And it's funny, when I uh, speak to my guests on the podcast, I think sometimes going over your CV and your bio is quite good to reaffirm what you've done, because I think we all sometimes tend to underestimate uh, our achievements. But I think going over it once in a while is not a bad thing. I mean, what, what do you think, Kathy? 
I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this is the world I live in every day. I've written books about, about it, and I have a big following on LinkedIn, but sometimes we have to read our own books, meaning I, you know, I'm a woman and women tend to do this. I don't mean to put every woman in the same box, but I think so often we don't recognize our special talents or we're uncomfortable talking about them, or really we don't understand the value, whether that's monetary or spiritual or emotional. I think it's it's a human dilemma that unfortunately holds us back in business. So I couldn't agree more with you. And, and I think that's a great point you make about, I think, things that come easily to us, I don't think we value. Um, and it's it's funny, sometimes you may um, be out and if you're an extrovert, you can find it very easy to make contacts or connections um, at a, like a drinks party. And then people say, how do you do that? And you're not really doing anything special. Or if you like a, like a niche thing, like we were talking about, opera and ballet before we came on air and if you found somebody who likes that um, and then you just have a knowledge of it then you look like an expert Um, but you haven't actually done anything you've gone out of your way and I think valuing the things that make you special uh, help you stand out I mean what do you think about that I couldn't agree more and I think I think there's even a, a deeper aspect to that what the bio doesn't say is I had an 18 year corporate career that was successful on the outside but it was not successful on the inside And what does that mean? I faced sexual harassment, gender bias, toxic colleagues, chronic illness of the trachea of all things. You probably know because, you know, you're in the world of energy and spirit. And, you know, when we can't speak, when you have an infection in your throat, it often means, sure, you got to go to the doctor, but doctors couldn't help. It, it really meant I couldn't speak up for myself. I wasn't, I wasn't living who I really was. So I had all of that. And why am I bringing that up? So I think the happiest careers, I don't mean the most successful financially. I mean, the happiest, and those can be very, very successful financially, are the ones that use those natural talents that come easily to you. So I, as you know, I work with thousands of women and so many very high achieving women who are doing amazing things at the UN, epidemiologists, you know, HR leading banks, whatever. Um, what they admit is, I'm good at my work, but sometimes it's very tedious, not sometimes, always, or I, it's not what my heart really wants to do. So I don't think it's just a nice to have to recognize what your natural gifts are. I think you should be leveraging them in your career more than most of us are. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, and actually, we'll pick up on that sort of later on. But actually, the way I like to kick off the show is actually we're both big, big fans of the arts. So yeah. is there a, a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, our conversation before in our emails, you just just reminded me of my English literature years and and what I had a fascination about was Dickens and the Bronte sisters. And I would say Wuthering Heights is one of my most, you know, favorite books in the whole world. But now in the past 16 years, I'm focused on nonfiction. And the most favorite book I have ever read and the most life-changing is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, I even have two quotes that I would say epitomize how I look at life now that I didn't see before. So it's, if, if you haven't read it, folks, it's, it's short, but it is life-changing uh, because he, he was in the Holocaust, a psychiatrist, and he began to watch in the concentration camp. I can't say it without crying. Why did some people 
almost seem to thrive, not thrive, please don't get me wrong, in the worst trauma and the worst atrocities, but they rose above it somehow in their everyday struggle for existence, whereas other people died very quickly. And he began to see that the people that survived had a sense of meaning and purpose that got them through. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's such an important reminder, you know? Yeah, and, and I love that point. I think, you know, the, the, it's the whole idea of, okay, the situation I'm in is is awful. It's you know, beyond imagination. I, I don't think either of us could really understand what it's like, but you're trying to figure out a way of, yeah, at finding meaning, giving yourself goals, almost bending reality. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever come across this Stockdale paradox, you know, with oh. Jim, uh, it's Jim Collins, uh, good to great. And he talks about um, this Rear Admiral Stockdale um, and how he was in a Vietnam prison of war camp. And he was asked, you know, who are the people who survived and didn't survive? And it was actually, the, the you know, rather than the optimists, it was the people who are realistic about their situation. And they, and they said to themselves, look, we are where we are. It is what it is. Mm. But we have to figure out a way of almost bending reality um, reframing things. And I, I just love that, that, you know, very similar to Frankel, um, how you're in a dire situation, but actually you can figure out a way of um, you know, navigating it and getting out of the situation, but also acknowledging how brutal it is. Okay. Mm, I think wow, obviously our, our work lives aren't ever going to be that bad, but I think there are similarities where, you know, sometimes people are in bad situations, but I think you've got to tell yourself, look, this isn't going to be forever. F find a way of navigating it. I mean, what do you think, Kathy? I agree completely. And it's interesting that that he found that it's not the optimists. So I, I have thoughts about that. Um, I'm a relentless optimist, but I'm not a Pollyanna. So the difference is, and you know, researchers have found that you can see evidence of pessimism and optimism at age four. It's it's a little bit hardwired, but it's not set in stone. When I talk about optimism, what I mean is I have quick access to joy and quick access to not looking only at the dark. I mean, look what's going on in our world. Yeah. I lay in bed in the morning and I look at headlines and I'm very selective of what news channels I'm looking at and I get my 20 minute dose. But there's a reason that depression and anxiety yeah. has soared. I mean, we're in a dire place and you can look at the facts of that. But where I desperately look is, first of all, where is the hope in it? Yeah. Where is the growth in it? I mean, it is what it is, facts. But back to this point about understanding the brutality, I think if you only look at that, yeah. you can't survive. And I think the way out of it is all often, how do I help myself be more of who I really am? If it means I'm more loving, I'm more of service, I'm more joyful, how can I be more of who I really am and how can I help others thrive? I think if you focus on those two things, I think it makes even the most unbearable, more bearable. And, you know, I have to say this, I'm going on without interruption. Obviously, uh, what's going on, you know, war around the world and prisoner of war camps, uh, their atrocities, I don't think the average person can realize. But I want to say that in dealing with helping a lot of professionals, they're going through things that I would consider about as dire as you can get in a working world, in the workplace. There's some really bad stuff that people are enduring in the workplace. 
So I think everything you talk about in your podcast, everything I try to talk about in bringing experts who uplift us, I hope it helps in all the ways that we're not living the life that we want to live, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the nice thing about, you know, hopefully both our content is that it's very much about empowerment. It's not saying, look, there's a silver bullet out there. No. You have to take action. You have to take these small steps over a long period of time. And I think sometimes people are looking for that guru or that particular person to make things better, but actually it's about the inner game. And, and I, I really want to talk about this later on, you know, when we talk about your sort of, you know, the, the marriage counts, uh, marriage therapy and personal therapy. I think that's amazing how you trained in that. Going back to your early life, you were a keen tennis player. I play a lot of sports as well um, at a young age. And I learned obviously a lot, lot of lessons for later on in mm. life. Um, tell me, Kathy, about some of the things that, that you picked up. And by the way, Kathy, are you a Federer or a Nadal fan? I'm a Nadal fan. Oh, I love the guy. <laughs> love him in every possible way. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you, Kathy. <laughs> okay. That's what but, makes a horse race yeah, that we're it, different. It, but he's, exactly. I think, uh, and, and in a way, you know, I, I admire Nadal because of, he's so different to Fedra. It's yeah. the contrast that makes life exactly. and tennis. And that's, and it's the contrast that make us attracted in a lot of ways to different people, right? Where we almost yeah. can't even articulate it. <laughs> tennis. So I started, you know, even at age 12, my dad had taught me, my dad who's in heaven knows what a doll. And he was competitive, man. When I got better and could beat him every time I'd come, I'd, I'd let him win. I'd come home and, and say, mom, I let him win. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, so I remember at age 12, I thought I was really good. And we were a, a member of this small little club. And my dad said, why don't you go join the team? And the pro watched me play and said, OK, good. You got some good things going on. Here's what will happen. I will want to change your forehand, your backhand and your serve. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand. What do you mean? So from minute one, lesson is you can be good, but you you need to change to be better. I mean, that was the biggest lesson. You know, there's growth here that has to happen. And probably you're going to go way backwards before you go forward. That was like lesson number one. But what did I learn? First of all, I got to play with guys. So at a very young age, I was comfortable with all humans, which I think, you know, little sheltered Greek Italian girls, I'm, I'm being funny. It's all cultures, but it just helped me see a whole wide range of people and get to know them. Number two, it made me very comfortable in the arena of competition and self-mastery. It's about mastering your own fears. You know, I just interviewed uh, Dr. Nate Zinzer, who's a top, top, top sports and performance psychologist. He says what we all know, but he says it in an amazing way. It's all what's going on here. I mean, if you've mastered the sport physically, you've hit the ball 2 million times. It's not about that. It's about so it's about mindset. It's about picking yourself up when you fail. It's about discipline. It's also about understanding your body and hearing it. Oh, you know, the lessons are so vast and I'm so grateful for it. And I still play now. 
Oh, I love it. Brilliant. Um, and, and actually, I, I think there's a great point about you know, um, thinking because actually sometimes you overthink things. Um, wow. Say we're you know, going to reach out to somebody. Now, um, you know, for our listeners, I, I, I didn't know you until I saw you on Max List's you know, career podcast. Wow. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, yeah, Kathy, she's got a bazillion followers. You know, she's <laughs> not going to want to speak to me. Oh. And then I, I sent you an email and you kindly replied. And, and it just shows, I think, that we're much closer to people than we think. And actually, you shouldn't worry about the rejection because I think sometimes so many people are worried about, okay, I'll send an email, either they won't reply or they'll be you know, not very nice. But actually, just reach out and you never know. And, okay. you, get, and you get Kathy Caprino on your show. <laughs> That's so kind of Thank you so much. I couldn't agree more. Look, we're all humans. Now, some people who have a following or have a book out think very highly of themselves. And, and, you know, they've got, and there's a lot of narcissists at top levels of sports, of academia, of politics. And I've studied as, as a therapist, narcissistic personality disorders. So you are hundred percent right. Reach out with the, with the kindness in your heart. But I would say there, oh, there's so much to say. Let me finish that sentence. But some people who don't respond, it's not because they're being snarky. Like I get a hundred emails or I get about 500 pitches a month to either be on my podcast or in Forbes or some other thing people want. So I, I finally gotten good with, I can't respond to everybody. So don't take it personally, learn from the responses, but don't, you don't have to catch every ball that comes to you. If someone's snarky, it's probably more about them, certainly more about them than you. Um, But I would say when you are reaching out to someone who you think is a few steps ahead of you, um, there is a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And and the wrong way is to immediately come with your hand out. Hey, Kathy, you know, sometimes I do a little work for LinkedIn in years ago, I was on their publishing member committee. I don't work for them. Uh, but I, I will get a stranger saying, I'm going for this job on LinkedIn. Could you recommend me? <laughs> so I write, I, sometimes I don't respond, but um, I usually write, great to meet you. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, number one, I don't recommend people I have never heard from before. Now, I'm not snarky about it, but I don't recommend people I don't know personally. There you go. But uh, again, I don't mean to be put people down, but you do need to use your common sense and be courteous just the way you would at a cocktail party. You don't come up to Harsha with your business card out. Hi, saw you across the room. I'm a career coach. Do you need one? (laughs) Do you understand why I'm getting that? But 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 it's like Kathy. It's like, I love that phrase. You know, you don't ask somebody to marry them on the first date, <laughs> or some do, I guess, <laughs> if you're on the Bachelorette. But <laughs> yeah, no, just use your head and use your heart. Great, great, great point. And and sort of going back to your sort of early days uh, again. So obviously you studied literature at Boston University, and then also in London, a fellow University of London oh. alumni. I will say Boston University, of course, my alma mater. I was a little, little sheltered girl from Schenectady, New York. So the big city, I kind of went underground, sadly, didn't play tennis, didn't sing because I got yelled at when I interviewed or when I auditioned for a choir and it was the upperclassmen choir and I was a freshman. And he, when he looked at my registration card, he yelled at me. I had gotten in, he was letting me in, but he said, you're wasting my time. You can't be in an upperclassman. So I'm sharing this because if you have children 
please don't let them go underground when they get overwhelmed. You know, encourage them to talk to you. Like I didn't tell anybody about all this. So I kind of went underground at Boston U, but I adored the studies. And it, interestingly, I, I started there in the School of Public Communications thinking I might be a journalist. And I took the first course and it's all about the why, when, how, where. I thought, I hate this. And I left and I went to, um, what do you call it? College of Liberal Arts. I think that name has changed. And I loved reading books and studying ideas. But what I mentioned to you um, in an email, then I go to London and not just for a semester, I went for a year, which was the most stretching experience for me. And I loved every minute of it. Oh my goodness. And you know, want to hear something funny? The reason I went to London, it makes no sense to anyone else, but in my English class, we were watching the Zeffirelli version of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, wow. The movie. Yeah. And I said, I don't know what happens next, but I've got to go to London. Now, you know, it's supposed to be in Italy, Verona, I mean, or wherever it was. <laughs> the but I came out. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Why didn't I go to Rome? Exactly. I later did go to Rome, but I said I got to go to England, which is so crazy. So then I studied at the University of London, the Chelsea Polytechnic of all things, because they had a partnership relationship. And the most fascinating thing in the world was now I was, I thought, an expert on Wuthering Heights and Dickens. Ha! Ah, you know, you've got to study where these, these authors came from, for goodness sake. But what was so shocking was. I had done a whole report about, it was Wuthering Heights back at BU. I came to London and we had a DERP, Directed Independent Research Project, big 50-page thing. And I was going to use that thesis that I had from the previous paper. He takes a look at it and he said, you didn't get the book at all. <laughs> and I had an A on that paper, an A in that class. I thought, I didn't get, I didn't understand the book. <laughs> and he said, you missed the whole darn thing. And I just love that because no, what does that teach us? <laughs> that there are so many different perspectives. Yeah. And when a teacher teaches, this is the only way to look at a book or only way to look at anything. I know you, you don't know your stuff, but you know, it was just the best year ever. I think that's a great point about you know, perspective, because I think life is about, you know, yeah, ch changing perspective, you know, trying to see things from you know, different people's perspectives. Right. And actually, if you can flip your perspective around, say if you're struggling at work or struggling in a relationship or whatever, just try and understand, like, do I need to be here? Uh, what is the point of this? And I think so many people get caught up in, you know, I, I need to make it work or it has to, you know, there are other things going on. Um, you know, people just uh, have a very sort of um, narrow uh, siloed view of the world. But if you just change it around, there's a huge amount of potential there. That is so right. And I would even add, some people have come to me over the years and say, I got to get out of here. Why? My boss, I, my boss hates me. So as a marriage and family therapist, that genre of therapy is about the system. We don't look at any one individual as the sole cause of anything. It's a systemic issue, right? So I immediately know if you hate your boss and they hate you, it's a mutual thing. And if, if you think your boss hates you, I want to ask you, how do you feel about your boss first? Where are we punctuating it, right? And in, in one very prominent case, she said, my boss is so hard on me and always criticizing. I said, okay, let's, let me understand how, 
how do you feel about her? And she said, I think she's incompetent. I said, well, let me tell you something. She knows you think that. And even if the words are coming out of your mouth aren't saying that, everything is energy. So what I'd like us to do is, sure, I'll help you find another job. What I always tell everyone is change who you are now so that you can be an energetic match to the better thing. So she didn't like it. She's like, what? What is this? I said, I want you to take some action that's going to improve your relationship with your boss. I know you don't think this is possible. Well, she did it. And six months later, she got a promotion in that company and, and truly was out from under that boss, but had repaired the relationship. So I would ask anybody who's struggling with a particular person, you know, I interviewed Alan Alda from the show MASH, and he is now a, a communications trainer. And he said in the interview, if someone comes at me, if I say hello to someone or, and, and they're bringing a lot of stuff at me or acting awful or rude, he always stops and says, what must have just happened in that person's life or maybe over a long period that is making them behave that way? And that's another shift of perspective. If, In fact, I have a little post-it note. My theme for this year is spirituality in practice. And as I coach and teach, well, what does that mean? What's that look like? How am I going to do that? Well, one of the things is just to love people. Every person I'm talking to, every person who comes to me in a bit of a deeper way than I would have. And boy, sometimes I really have to look at that post-it note, you know, when I'm in the middle of a conversation, because people can be difficult when they're upset. They can be harsh. They can be, you know, so there we go. How we look at things will change everything. Yeah. And and, it, and that's a great point. I think you made there, Kathy, about, you know, just um, you know, figure, looking at that looking at it from their perspective because i think sometimes you know people are insecure sometimes your boss comes across in this strange sort of way because maybe he's insecure or she's insecure um right. and i remember sort of playing in in sports teams and you you see some of the best players um they come across in this awful way because they are just very insecure and there's a lot of insecurity going around Absolutely. but once you get past that and and that's the same in in life in any personal relationship sometimes People come across in a way because they want to mask something or hide something, but actually fundamentally they're, they're okay people, but they're, they're maybe trying to compensate for you know, something in their past. Uh, and that's how they come across in that way. I think that's hundred percent right. The hard thing is in order for us to rise above that and try to connect with the higher version of them, we have to have a lot of stuff going for us. One boundaries. So let's say, for instance, you were, you know, not being so nice on the podcast. What would I do? I've never had that happen. I don't want it to happen. But if it did, I might say, could we pause the recording for a minute? And I might say, I'm getting pretty good at being direct, but gentle, but firm, direct and clear. Harsha, it, you know, you've got it, a bad attitude. I'm feeling like I'm getting grilled and it's not fun. Uh, is there any way we could shift that? And if not, I would end it. What we need to have are number one boundaries where we know where we end and the other person begins. So just because you're a little harsh, I'm not going to own that. I'm, I'm going to ask about it, right? But number two, and this is particularly difficult for women because we are trained not to do this, is to be direct and say what needs to be said. I mean, it has to happen. 
And this is incredibly hard for women. Power gap number two, communicating from fear, not strength from my latest book. You know, we're raised this way, but to our earlier point, are we going to blame our parents for the rest of our lives? I'm 61. My father died when he was 93. My mother's 97. Am I going to continue to blame my parents for what I didn't get? At a certain point, it gets ridiculous. And I know because I carried some things with me a long time into my adult life, you know. That's beautifully said. It's about just moving on sometimes, isn't it? You know, what's happened is, has happened. No point ruminating. You've got to look, look forward. I need to caveat that for anyone. I often think I hear a voice of someone listening to your podcast or mine going, wait, 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 what? Just move on. What it usually requires is healing. Yeah, sure. And that can be with a coach, a mentor, a a cousin, a therapist. Um, If you've had stuff that's suppressed you or hurt you, there are many, many times where you just don't get over it. You really do have to do some work. And it's not easy, but wow, it's life-changing. Great, great point, Kathy. And actually, after college, um, I, I saw that you wanted to be a, a book editor, but then you sort of got sidelined um, into marketing. But there, there was a point you made about how you had an interview with um, Simon & Schuster or somebody, but you just didn't go for it. Um, and and I, I, I think that's a really interesting point, how you almost sort of um, didn't you know, denied yourself the opportunity rather than just at least going for the interview. And I think that might help some of our listeners who are thinking, okay, we're in a situation, but we've got other opportunities. Maybe do you, do you want to expand? Oh, on I'd that? love to. I'd love to. So the context of that is, as we spoke, I loved literature. I loved ideas. I mean, my mom used to, when I was bored, my mom would say, read a book and I would. So I was, I loved books. My idea, my big dream was I will be an editor at some point helping authors birth their book ideas. So I even went to NYU, the publishing institute and met people and woohoo. But back then on my Smith Corona typewriter, can you imagine? I, you know, has sent out 50 resumes in part because I, of how I was raised. My parents were, you know, depression era, World War II. You, you don't squander, you take the first, you take the job. So I got offered this marketing job right out of school, three weeks out of school, four weeks. So I took it. It's interesting. Marketing is comprised of how we communicate. And so I'm good at it, but it sure wasn't the dream. So three weeks into that job, I, I, I'm not remembering a random house, Simon Schuster, one of the biggest ones in New York, then I lived in Brooklyn, wrote me, you sound like blah, blah, blah. Would you like to interview for the assistant editor job? And what does little good girl Kathy say? I can't do that. What would this job, what would they think of me? Oh, my! what a mistake. What a darn mistake. So as the coach, I'm telling everyone, you go on the interview, always interview. And no matter what job you're in right now, no matter how happy, unhappy, you should be interviewing every three months, every six months. I don't mean just to kick the tire. I mean to understand your worth and your value in the workplace and what's available. I didn't go. I don't remember what I responded. There weren't emails back then. I wrote a letter. Now, you know, it's funny, 18 years in corporate life and it got progressively terrible. But would I change that now, that whole thing that I did? It was a huge mistake, but I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing now, uh, probably, because the work I'm doing is informed by many years of 
sublimating myself and what women go through when they reach high levels in corporate life. So it's all in some ways what's meant to be, but I would say, what a different trajectory, what a different life. If I had honored myself and just gone on the interview and if I'd gotten the job, look, people, here's another thing. When you, when you go to a job, you don't sign your name and blood to this job. So many young people, but I can't leave. And what are they going to say? You know, my dad was in GE for 30 years. There was a different relationship back then. There was more loyalty from the organization. Forget it. Oh, I'm not saying don't be loyal. I'm saying put yourself first. It's your life. What could be more important than your life? Interview. Now, what you don't want to do is jump around every three months and quit. I mean, there's something wrong there if you're doing that and it doesn't look good for your LinkedIn profile and resume, but put yourself first, pursue the big dream. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, there's some, so many great points that don't uh, second guess yourself, go for it <laughs> to your point. Yeah. You, you have to be loyal to a company to a certain extent, but sure, sure. you know, um, obviously we're not saying be unethical or do anything like that, no. but at least interview um, and you, know, you may not get the job. But right. interview and see, uh, see see what happens. It's an interesting point. You stuck in the corporate world for 18 years. So obviously, I think you would have been successful, but clearly you weren't very happy. You know, when you were first starting out, many of us, it's success that we want. And we, you know, maybe we're going to have families. Maybe we're going to buy a house. It's all about how do I move forward? So I was good at these jobs, copywriting and marketing. So in my 20s, I was intensely focused on getting ahead, the next better job. You know, all along there were bumps, but at about age 40, those bumps turned into literally full-blown crises. But here's another tip. When you're in the middle of them, you don't often see, you're, we're isolated from others unless you're really talking to other people and have a coach or you go to meetings, you know, like meetups and industry association meetings and you're talking to other people. I wasn't. So when I had these crises, again, no, as I said, no work-life balance, not in the fabric of my kids' lives, chronic illness, but the worst thing was waking up every day and saying, is this what I'm going to do with my life? And I remember reading somewhere that Oprah had once said she knew she was made for bigger things or greater things. And some, I remember some people were like, wow, how egotistical, but she knew she was meant for greater things. And I think the thought I had was, I'm meant for something better than this, but what? And at age 41, what am I going to do about it now? We had just bought a house and one month later was 9-11 and a month later I was laid off. And that, that was what I call my breakdown moment. And sometimes human beings were so resistant to change that we wait until it's unbearable to make a change, which is something I recommend nobody do. I just simply couldn't return to corporate life that way. I, I felt so betrayed and so confused. But but the lesson there is I should have, I'd call it the pendulum effect. It's not a good thing. When you wait too long in one direction and you get broken down in it and you want to run to the opposite ends of the world. I saw this in marriage and family therapy. It's called emotional cutoff. Let's say you hate your mother and she's, you know, damaging. You know, I grew up in Connecticut. Let's go to Alaska. Let me go to Rome. Yeah, they're inside you. You can't geographically cut yourself off. You have to heal from what happened. Yeah, you cannot see your mom, but it's not just going to go away because you're thousands of miles away. Same for me. I became a therapist. 
But the crazy story is while it was life-changing, I launched with uh, several other people, a therapy practice. And this was five years after leaving corporate life. Some of the same stuff reemerged. Narcissism, no, no good boundaries on my part. You don't want to run. You don't want a pendulum effect. You want to deal with the problems. But I have to say, the reason I knew I wanted to be a therapist was I was sitting in my therapist's office crying after being laid off, two weeks after, crying. And he said, I love this. He said, Kathy, I know from where you sit, this looks like the worst crisis you've ever faced. But from where I sit, it's the first moment you can choose who you want to be in the world. Now, who do you want to be? And people will relate to this. If you knew that, you would be doing that probably, or you'd unless you're too afraid to, but I didn't know. So I blurted out, I want to be you. And we laughed and he said, what does that mean to you? What a question. And I said, I want to help people not hurt people and be hurt. And he said, look, I've known you two years. I think you'd make a good therapist. And I went home, I went, oh, went home and looked at the curriculum at two universities near me. And I said, I don't care what happens. I kind of how I felt about English lit. I have got to learn this. I've got to learn this stuff. So, you know, it all looks like I think I was heading headed in the right direction. Finally, what a journey bumps. Yeah, no, I, I just love those points, Kathy. And I think you know, there, there's so many interesting things coming out from that. I think, you know, when you're at that moment of crisis, I think it, you know, rather than um, you know, freaking out and getting upset, you know, try and you know, reframe things and say, look, it's an opportunity. It, it, obviously, there are bad things and you need to earn money. But rather than focusing on the negative, just say to yourself, look, this is a, a massive opportunity. I've got the time uh, which I was working. I wouldn't be able to do that. And why I was quite really looking forward to having you on the show, because I think coming from that sort of marriage and family therapist background, I think there are so many things you can take from that uh, and look at your career just in terms of like, confidence, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem, limiting beliefs. And I think it's very much about, you know, working on the inner, inner self and an inner game. And, and sometimes people have these problems. Uh, and as you're saying, they have problems with their boss. Um, and really, actually, it's the problem is within themselves to some extent. Obviously, you, you do have terrible bosses. But I think um, if you can fix your, you know, inner game, then that also helps you deal. If you've got an awful boss, then you realize that and you think, okay, maybe in six months or a year, I'll have, I'll, and you work back, I need to leave, work back from that and then think, what, what are the steps I need to do to um, you know, get, get control back in, in my life? Um, what, what do you think? Kathy? I completely agree. I, I wanted to punctuate one thing though. I would not have made that decision I would not have had that revelation without sitting in that particular therapist's office. Another therapist might say, oh, hang on, you'll find another job. It was that question, that fated question. You know, So when we are broken down, get help, but get the right kind of help. I always talk about what's the right kind, what's the wrong kind. We can talk about that later. But um, I do want to say one other thing. You know, the power gap number five is acqui of my book is acquiescing instead of saying stop to mistreatment. So I do want to make a point when you're being abused by a boss or someone, it's not just an inner game. You have to find a way out of this, but it starts with the inner confidence that you're worthy of not being abused or mistreated. That's the inner game. Like, wait a minute. So this is where the inner self has to change. 
that you recognize what mistreatment is and say, I don't want this. I don't deserve this. You know, I just did a little quote that got a lot of comments. Toxic cultures attract two kinds of people, abusers and people who tolerate abuse. So inner game, yes, change it, but you need, you need help and you need, you need to get out and you need it to stop, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, whether it's a coach, a friend or specialized, you know, obviously I, I'm, I'm not a therapist, so I can't sort of give any pointers in that direction. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you that I think, yeah, just being on your own and try to solve these things. Won't work. Oh, yeah. I, I, you, I tried. You, yeah. You, you definitely need some, somebody else, uh, but just make sure you get the, the appropriate person for your uh, particular situation and and totally agree with that whole idea of uh, self-confidence and self-worth because I think sometimes you know you're in a situation if you're if things aren't going well at work you just gradually get worn down and you don't fully realize your worth Um, and then you don't really take any action and you know I'm sure we've all met people who are in those situations and it's very hard for them to make that change but actually once you do realize you have you believe in yourself and you have that self-confidence, then that really does help you to start that journey of taking action and getting to a, a better place. But actually, Kathy, um, we've been talking so much about all your interesting life. I've, I, I, I really want to you know, talk about your book. Would you like to give a, a quick overview um, of it? Thank you. Thank you so much. So briefly, um, as I said, I've worked with so many thousands of women around 26 countries and six continents. So it was about three years ago now. One day I said, I don't understand this. How is it that no matter where these women are calling from, and men have these gaps too, I have male clients as well, but no matter where they're calling from, no matter what level, how much money they have, uh, their education, their field, their title, they're bringing the same kinds of things over and over and over and over and over. I said, I got to figure this out. Something's here. So I decided to take some months to kind of split my head in half. One is a coach and one is a researcher. I used to do, that's another thing. I used to do market research in the corporate world. How useful it is because everything is research here now. So I said, let me research. What are they saying? What are they missing? So the, I wanted to answer two questions. What are they missing in their lives today? That's making them come for coaching. And number two, what are they getting in the coaching process that allows them to break through? What emerged was this, they are missing the bravery to look head on at what is wrong in their lives and take accountability to fix it. And number two, because bravery is not enough. You need power, 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 internal power and connection to external power. So then I said, okay, great. But I love frameworks. I love to develop the eight stages of this. So I said, what are the, let's break down power for people. So in looking at all the ways these women from mid to high levels weren't powerful, it became seven key ways. And I call them power gaps because they're, you ever seen a gap in the road, a crack where, you know, it's, it's where all your energy and your confidence and your self-love and your self-esteem and your agency sucks right out. So then I said, all right, let me study these. Let me focus on these, but let me do a survey because sometimes, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm working on power gaps, that's all I'm going to see. Right. So then I did a survey and 14, it's 1500 now have filled it out. Basically I'm asking, I'm saying, here's what the gaps are. Say yes, no, or maybe if you have these gaps, 98% of the women who filled out this survey 
have at least one gap. And I full disclosure, if you say maybe you're a yes, because you have it, you have it to some degree. I see that. So I lumped maybe and yes into the back hair. 98% of women and 90% of men say they have at least one and 75% of women have three or more of these gaps. If you have these gaps, you will not thrive and reach your highest potential in your work. I'm focused on work, but of course they bleed over. Every one of the gaps bleeds over to your personal life. You know, you could be somewhat successful on the outside, but you're not internally successful. You're not joyful. You have no balance. There's no fulfillment, meaning, purpose, impact, or there's a degree of it, but you can't figure out how to get more of it. It's a damaging situation. That book came out in July. I can't believe it. July, 2020. But now I have a course the most powerful you. So there's a video course and now there's an online um, live version with me. It, this is my world right now. And I love it because it's a framework. There's a, you know, the survey that they can take in two minutes. I have gap one, three, seven, and, <laughs> and instantly they can see it. And there's instantly something we can work on. And that's what people need. I mean, it's it can be overwhelming when you're not happy. Like wh- where do I begin? This helps us begin to become more powerful, more confident, more brave and start being who we want to be in the world. Fantastic. And Kathy, I'll, I'll make sure all your um, contact details uh, and website, it's all in the in the show notes. And I'm sure, you know, I've been looking at your website and there's you know, loads of really good content, the blog and, you know, obviously the other the stuff you've got on there. When I was reading, uh, you know, going, going through the, the book, I think there are three sort of common, the, the top power gaps is like reluctance to ask for what you deserve, losing sight of your dream future and isolating from influential support. Um, do you just want to maybe touch on those and talk about strategies that can help people get out of that situation? I love that. So number one, you mentioned was not recognizing your special talents, right? Number six is losing sight of your thrilling dream, right? And number four is isolating from influential support. Let's start with what I think is the foundation what, what we're talking about here is you simply don't recognize what you have to offer that's a value of the world, right? In the world. And I will, I'll frame it around women because that's my sweet spot, but men have this too. What's amazing to me is I have this free thing called a career path assessment. It's 11 pages of questions I wish someone had asked me and you can get it on my site under assessments. If I had answered those questions, honestly, I don't think I would have made a lot of the mistakes I made. But the crazy thing is something like 75,000 people have downloaded it and I've seen thousands and my clients fill it out. I cannot believe this. It asks questions like every job you ever had, what you loved, what you hated, biggest accomplishments. It asks, what do you think your special talents are? How do you stand out? You're not going to believe it. I mean, I even have doctors saying, I don't know what my special talents are. So I've now come to ask this question. Do you think I could do your job? An anesthesiologist, a cardiologist. Do you think I could in one day do your job? I would be fired in the first seven minutes and I would have killed someone. How can you say you don't have any talent? You don't have special gifts. I don't understand it. So there's a little bit of a, you know, loving slap from the universe, but so many people don't recognize what they're good at. So I'm going to give you a few tips here. In the book, it talks about, and I think this is a really helpful way to break things down. Whenever you have a challenge, I don't care what it is in life, there's three aspects you want to 
behaviors you want to engage in. Number one, you want to under, internal understanding. You want to understand that thing so deeply, so much more intimately than you do now. Number two, you want to take action, but it's a special kind of action. It's action unlike anything you've ever taken before. It's not the same action that you always take. It's something that you would say, if I can do that, I can do anything. And number three, it's the positive reframe. How do you look at this thing and reframe it so that, and that's a therapeutic technique, right? So for instance, Kathy, I've interviewed for 10 jobs. I get a certain along the way, but I never get into the final round. I'm a loser. I usually say, do you want these jobs? And their eyes get big and they go, not really. I don't want them. I'm getting, I'm going for them because I have to. I said, then you're not going to get them. You're not a loser. Your system's given you exactly what you want. So there's a reframe. You're not, and it's true. It fits the facts equally well, but allows for more positivity and expansion. But the very first thing I do is take my career path assessment, listen to my TEDx talk, Time to Brave Up, which talks about it's time that you know the 20 facts of you. Those things that no one can take away. Women are scared to say, I'm good at something or I did this. The irrefutable things that you did, that you're proud of, that you want to expand on, start understanding what they are and then start talking about those. That's one, one key step. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like that point about putting the facts down because facts are facts. irrefutable. They're facts. The facts. <laughs> yeah. Like if you want to know one, you know, why should anyone hire me? Because I've spent 16 years studying women's challenges and I know them better than most people on the planet, or I'm an entrepreneur, or I was a corporate VP. These are facts. Right. Or I have a master's in marriage and family therapy. It's, you're either going to like those facts or not. And they're a filter for people that will like your work, yeah. right? Number six is losing sight of your thrilling dream. I think the, I think that's, what is that percentage now? 76%. What it means is I had an idea of what I wanted when I was 22 and I bailed on it. Now there are many reasons we bail. The reasons I talked about now I have a house. Now I have three kids. Um, my husband lost his job. I can't just go sing in the band. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But what I say to you is bring forth the concept of what more thrill would look like and just start doing it in the tiniest way. So yeah, you want to sing in the band, join the darn church choir, right? You don't have to chuck your career. People, people are so scared to do this. They'll give you the excuse of, well, I don't want to lose money. How will singing in the church choir lose money? Uh, singers sing, dancers dance. People will say to me, you wrote two books. I want to write a book. Yay. I say, so what are you writing? I'm not writing anything. You can't write a book if you're not writing a word. How's the book going to come out? Start a blog, write an article. So you get the idea. Begin to be that person that you dream to be. It's so easy and you don't have to risk anything. And number four is isolating from influential support. Here's a fact. Here's a piece of data. Sylvia Ann Hewlett, who's looked at women in the work, workplace in many different ways, her research showed that women have three times as many mentors, but men have twice as many sponsors. This is what we're going for. Sponsors are people who care for you, want to help your growth, but they have the clout and the power to open the doors for you. My mentor sponsored Judy Robinette, who's written two amazing books, one crack the funding code and how to be a power connector. And she is a power connector. She talks about how women stay in the same room. They're comfortable with women at their level. For instance, remember when the CEOs, when we were in the office, the CEOs would have lunch and learns. 
Men are sitting right next to the CEO. My female clients, they're in the back of the room. They're in the bathroom. You know, they're, they're nowhere near. I'm like, sit next to the CEO and then go up to the CEO after the talk and say, here's what I show your thought leadership. Here's what I got out of your talk. That one comment. And then maybe ask a question. Don't hide from influential support. And, and, and Kathy, the, the, the funny thing about those interactions where the men are going to the front of the room, they're asking the most ridiculously silly <laughs> questions. <laughs> I, I, I you can hate, say that. I can't say that. I, I'll say. I'll say that. You know, and I've heard some of these questions, and you're just thinking, look, it, it's fine to ask a question, but at least think about asking a relatively sensible Instead one. Instead of it just being my hand yeah. raised, it's I, just I think, me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reply. I'm not no, no, gonna double can. down. But you, you can. You can. <laughs> you know, we even talk about mansplaining, where <laughs> a man. Thank you for explaining what I'm already teaching. <laughs> But this is not to bash men, please. This is, we live in a patriarchal world. I'm going to, can I leave with this comment, this thought, or maybe we have more time. When you live in a patriarchal world where there's a dominant, you know, men are the dominant culture in, in corporate life, they are, let's face it, look at the numbers of CEOs. What happens, and I learned this from Dr. Therapist Terry Real, who's an amazing therapist. We split ourselves in half. We, we conceptualize masculine and feminine. In a patriarchal world, masculine is strong, not vulnerable, not emotional, gets it done, assertive, confident, feminine, pleasing, vulnerable, listen to my voice, puts other people first, accommodating, malleable. The problem is in a patriarchal world, both genders shun the feminine. So even women don't like women who are forceful. Where, as he says, we're the we're swimming in the water. Patriarchy is the water, and we're the fish. You don't see it, um, but we have to see it. And again, this is not to bash men. This is the society, the culture we grew up with. We have to take yes, and society and institutional and cultural changes need to happen, for sure. But my world is at the individual level. We have to take control. If you see the guy mansplaining. You say, thanks, Fred. So appreciate it. Back to my original point, Lip. You don't have to be mean about it. Yeah. You know, you can be gentle, you can be spiritual. And that's the thing. Women have said to me, I don't want power. I said, why don't you want power? Because power is abused. I need people to understand it's Shakespeare. Nothing is, but thinking makes it so. No, power is not in and of itself abusive. It's who's wielding it and you're not going to wield it abusively. You've got to have power. That's what I, that's what I say. No, I, I think that's such a great, great thought, Kathy. And, and, and I think it's, it's probably being strategic about how you develop those relationships because as a, a junior, you, you can't push too hard. You have to get people in the senior ranks to say, oh, wow, Kathy, she's done a great job. We should give her the job. Um, and, and and it's about cultivating, you know, so when, when they're in the promotions meeting, instead of having just your line manager, you have people from outside your department or you know, somebody else. And I think it's, and I, and I don't think you have to be transactional about it and you don't have to be mm-hmm. doing it in a, 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 an unpleasant way. But I think if you can go around and you know, speak to people, try and build up these relationships, explain the value that you're providing. And I think you know, if you do have good managers in an organization, they're looking for people who can you know, get the job done uh, on time, do it well and add value. Um, whether you're male, female, 
whatever ethnicity you are, you hope that they'll have the sense to promote the right people. And maybe if they're not, then you need to think about moving somewhere. Time to interview. Yeah, where, where, yeah. And to your point, always interview. Because I think Mm -hmm. until you realize your full value and you realize what you're providing, then, um, yeah, if you're not, if it's not happening where you are, move on. That's it. That's it. Very simply said, but not, it's simple, but not easy for many people. That's the reality. Don't be too hard on yourself. You and 10 million other people find this very intimidating, but there's help. There's help out there. Yeah, no, no, totally. And and I think that whole point about execution and just doing things, it's these small steps, but if you do it over time, um, and I suppose, you know, on day one of your podcast and the same with mine, it hopefully our, our style is better than it was at the beginning, but that's purely because we've done it so many times that unless you're, you'll get better. um, No matter. I look back on my first blog post. I'm like, I don't believe I pressed, press publish on that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So many words, (laughs) so many adjectives, three in every sentence, every look, you get better. Believe in yourself, believe. And the world needs you. Look at what's happening in the world. The world needs all of you, all of your skills, all of your talents. We need it desperately. Fantastic. Well, um, Kathy, we're coming up to the uh, end of our time and, you know, I could just carry on uh, for another hour, but I would just like to, like to say, yeah, thank you so much, Kathy, for taking the time to catch up with me and our listeners. And, you know, I'm sure they'll get tremendous value out of everything that you've uh, shared with us uh, today. And, and just one final thing, Kathy, is there anybody you'd like to give a quick shout out to? Three people come to mind. My 97 year old mom who doesn't listen to podcasts, but oh, dear. Uh, Georgia Caprino. She mm-hmm. is a warrior spirit. She is my guiding light and has been so supportive. So what mom love you. Mother's Day coming up. And you know who is on my mind right now? Two people who've been incredible mentors, Sean Acor and his wife, Michelle Gielen. Um, I have to write them. You know, he talks about happiness, you know, Sean, probably. And one thing is a random act of kindness that boosts our happiness. I just want to randomly reach out to them because it's been a while, but they have been so instrumental, both in the work that they do in the world and how generous they've been to me. So those are my shout outs. Oh, fantastic. Sean and Michelle. Yeah. And, and yeah, my shout out to your mom as well, you know, for you. doing good work, you know, um, <laughs> And supporting you, Kathy. That's so sweet. Thank <laughs> you, Arsha. Thank you for having me. What a blast. No, I so been, appreciate it. No, th- thank you so much, Kathy. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.